Hello and welcome to this episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a fantastic interview for you in this session, so stick around and we'll jump right on in. Before we get started this week, I'm proud to announce that Permaculture Magazine of North America has become the first sponsor of this podcast. Incidentally, they've also just celebrated their one-year anniversary this summer. And as the offshoot of the beloved Permaculture Magazine International out of the UK, there is now a regional edition to help strengthen permaculture knowledge throughout North America. This is one of my favorite go-to resources for the latest information on innovation and news in the permaculture world. If you visit permaculturemag.org to sign up for your hard copy subscription today, you'll get the 25-year digital archive of Permaculture Magazine International as a free bonus. And just for listeners of The Abundant Edge, you can now receive 50% off your digital copy subscription right now by finding the discount code in the show notes for this episode. So go now to permaculturemag.org and dive deep into the local and global solutions that go beyond sustainability. Have you ever felt completely bogged down by the weight of current events and news? Things like climate change, government corruption, war, and violence seem to be the norm and hard to get away from. I know these things affect me deeply, and that's why I'm always looking for positive news and media about solutions and inspiring change. That's why I'm proud to say that I've partnered with one of my favorite sources for just those things. New Society Publishers are book publishers that focus on putting out great books about positive solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they can go on to change the world for the better. What's more, their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They actually care deeply not only about what they publish, but also about how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. In fact, the author that I'm interviewing today, Lydia Dolman, and her book, Light Straw Clay are published by them, and if you stay tuned at the end of the interview, I'll tell you how you can be eligible to win your own copy of Light Straw Clay. So stick around for that after the interview. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society publishers have the books that you need to help build a better world. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us this week. I'm actually not in Guatemala for a change, I'm visiting my sister out in New Jersey. And I thought I'd mix things up a little bit by letting her do the intro for this podcast. So here's my sister, Emily. Our guest today is Lydia Dolman, an accomplished natural builder and educator, as well as the founder of Flying Hammer, a natural building company based in Southern Oregon. The company focuses on pushing the boundaries of affordable and energy efficient housing, training people and communities in various building skills, and infusing the dreary urban fabric with structures that reflect beauty, sustainability, and community. Lydia is also the author of Light Straw Clay, one of the volumes in the Sustainable Building Essentials series, which will be the focus of this interview. In this episode, we go in depth about the world of Light Straw Clay and its wide range of applications and the nuts and bolts of the building technique. We talk about permanent and temporary formwork Larson trusses and split stud framing, different options of plastering and sheathing the walls, and the advantages and challenges of building with clay straw. I would highly recommend this interview for anyone looking to build a hybrid structure or to renovate an existing conventional building because of how easy it is to use these techniques in traditional homes. 
So rather than stretching out the intro, I'll just turn things over to Lydia Dolman. Hey, Lydia, how are you doing today? Great to have you here. I am doing great. Thanks for having me. I know you've got a lot of projects going on, but before we get into all the technical questions about light straw clay, do you think you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into natural building? Sure. Um, let's see. The short version of a long story of how I got into natural building was I was really interested in art and ecology slash biology. And at one point, I randomly bumped into a group of women in Missoula, Montana, who were building a straw bale home and kind of the clouds parted. And that was my moment. And I saw the direction I wanted to go. And their advice to me was also that I should really learn carpentry, so woodworking as a skill to supplement the in-between times, and also every building I work on needs a superstructure for the most part, or involves some wood. So I've also been working on becoming a very good carpenter over the last 20 years. Marvelous. Yeah, so like you were saying, I know you've worked with a lot of different natural building materials and techniques, but today, you know, we're going to focus a little bit more on light straw clay. Could you explain briefly what light straw clay is and how it's generally used? Sure. Um, so most people are familiar with either cob, which is a monolithic earthen building style, or straw bale, which is kind of blocks of straw used as an infill. Sometimes it actually carries a load of the roof. And light straw clay is kind of like a little bit of a mix of the two. And it's an infill system, which means that it doesn't ever carry the load of the roof, but always works with some kind of superstructure, whether that's wood or adobe or who knows what. And it is loosened straw that gets mixed with a clay slip that acts as a binder, a fire retardant, insect retardant, um, and it gets packed into forms just like you would almost concrete but very, very different material, and the forms get removed most of the time, and you have a breathable natural wall system that can be any thickness, almost any height. It's a very versatile um, material. So that that's part of my interest in it is that it's a great kind of in-between, and it's very modular. Sure, and I would imagine the embodied energy of using straw as the primary ingredient keeps the sort of carbon footprint and the embodied footprint much lower. Yes. So in in lieu of using any material that's much more processed, this is about as minimally processed a building material as you can possibly choose. Fantastic. Now, let's break down the process on how to install light straw clay. What kind of formwork is needed? And tell us the difference between temporary and permanent forms. Great. That's a great question. Um, so traditionally, light straw clay was an infill system for timber frame structure. And timber frame is just basically big timbers instead of the stud system that is used in conventional construction. So um, <clears throat> Generally, we have a secondary framing system that helps hold the straw clay in and also acts as what holds your openings, like your windows and your doors. And you would have the secondary framing system. That's where it gets a little bit complicated because there's so many different ways to incorporate light straw clay into a building. So I'm just going to go with the most basic one, which is a timber frame with a Larson truss. And a Larson truss is basically like a little ladder that goes in your wall that acts as a as like a secondary holding system. And the little ladder has a little bit of wood on one side, a little bit of wood on the other side, and then rungs to kind of keep them equidistant so you can control your wall depth. And most light straw clay structures have about a 12-inch thick wall system, which is great if you have limited um, square foot capacity, say you're in an urban area or because um, straw bale takes up a significant 
more space on the perimeter of a building. And so you would wrap the building with these Larson trusses about every two, three, sometimes four feet on center, which really um, limits the amount of wood that you are using, which is great compared to conventional construction. And then if you're using a temporary form system, is you use plywood or some kind of dimensional lumber, but mostly it's plywood, and you screw this to those studs or to your timber frame, and then you make your light straw clay mix, which is basically a straw bale that gets loosened. You cut the strings, and then you're making a clay slip, and that can be either with pure clay or native soil, which has a clay content that gets turned into milkshake consistency. You mix them up. You toss them like a big salad, and then you pack this into the wall system. And, um, yeah, and then... then as you go, once you pass your forms, you leapfrog the forms. You're immediately taking the forms off. And then you have this solid, breathable, um, wonderful, and nicely flat wall system. Fantastic. So since light straw clay itself isn't load-bearing, as you mentioned before, there needs to be structural supports around the walls to hold up the roof. Could you tell me a little bit about how framing and building for light straw clay infill, uh, sort of the different options that are available? and some of the most common ones? So the most common one would probably be the traditional timber frame. The pros of that are that it's beautiful. You're using larger timbers at larger intervals. So in theory, you could be using less wood than you would in a conventional construction project. Um, the next one I would say would be where you're using a Larson truss framing or it's a similar component to that is um, split stud framing. You could also use pole framing, which is great if you live in a wooded area and you have access to a lot of small diameter poles. Um, and then the other one is you can get a little, you can branch out a bit. And if you have Adobe, you could use Adobe pillars as something to hold your roof structure up. Um, you could combine it with some kind of metal superstructure. Kind of the sky is the limit. So that's the beauty of light straw clay is it can infill around just about anything. And... Um, then I think you also asked me about a difference between temporary and permanent forms. Right. And depending on your framing system, you can either use the plywood that you then peel off, which can sometimes feel, particularly for a larger project, like you're purchasing a lot of plywood that you may or may not use again. Um, some people are creative and they save some of it so that they can sheathe their roof with it or eventually you have a lot of shelving material. But the other option is permanent form work, and that's either using a wood lath, which is little strips of wood, which is a traditional plaster backing method. Um, and those are just little strips of wood that are spaced about a finger widths apart, and they stay there, and then your light straw clay just falls into a cavity, and then you plaster over the wood lath. The other one is a reed mat, or you can get really creative with whatever... Um, kind of permanent formwork you can put in there, whether it's wire mesh or um, I've seen all sorts of creative things, but those we could branch out pretty far in that department. But for the most part, those are the two ways to kind of do a permanent formwork. And then you're not removing anything and it's permanently in there and becomes part of your structure. Excellent. That's really well explained. And, you know, I know there's always going to be some limitations when we just talk about these things. But for nice. anybody who's really interested, the diagrams and the drawings that are in the Essential Series on Light Straw Clay are fantastic and really help to clarify all these things that we're talking about here. Uh, one thing that I would like to you to sort of clarify just a little bit, uh, you mentioned briefly split stud framing. And I thought it was fascinating because I actually hadn't used it this way before. The way that they're set off center and could you tell me about how that's used and sort of what it does for preventing thermal bridging? Right. Great question. Um, so 
some people might have been exposed to split stud framing and doing kind of in working in acoustic situations. So if you're trying to soundproof uh, or limit the sound transfer from one wall to another, say a recording studio or an apartment wall, um, is sound will follow a path of the dense material. So if you had a 12 inch stud to separate your big thick wall system, the sound would travel through that 12 inch stud directly to the other side. Um, by splitting the studs and offsetting them, you mitigate a little bit of that sound transfer. The other thing that you're mitigating is thermal bridging where you have a less um, dense material like the straw clay in your stud cavities, which gets you a great R value of R21 if you're doing 12 inches thick, but then your stud itself has a much lower R value. So you're actually transferring heat and you're diminishing the overall insulation quality of your wall system. So having the offset studs is a way of kind of weaving a continuous thermal envelope of your light straw clay throughout your wall system instead of breaking it up into stud cavities. The other nice thing about that is because you're using essentially a clay-based material, clay, once it dries, shrinks just a little bit. And by offsetting those studs, you mitigate that shrinkage so you're not getting a draft whereas if you had a that straight 12 inch um two by 12 stud there is you would get a little gap and that would allow a little bit of air transfer there and making your wall system less efficient that way as well sure compromising the envelope just a little bit so in your book um like we talked about you have some fantastic charts and tables explaining the properties of clay straw as a wall filling material could you briefly go over some of the properties such as insulation value like you mentioned for the 12-inch wall, fire ratings, and generally how it performs acoustically? Um, yeah, so this is the fun thing about writing a book uh, is that you get to do a lot of research and then you get to find out where there are big gaps in the research. And um, one of them, there's only Franz Volhard's book that um, – talked a little bit about sound transfer, but you can imagine in a dense material. So if any listeners here have been in a concrete room versus a soft padded room, um, you notice that there's a very different acoustic quality. And his calculations on the sound transfer were based on what a denser wall system might, how that might transfer the sound through the wall system. So in my experience of building, particularly for compact living situations and roommate situations, having the light straw clay between those rooms helps dampen the sound just because it is big and dense. And if we've done our split stud, um, it helps mitigate the sound transfer through the wall which can make for a nicer living situation depending on who you're, who's sharing a wall with you. Um, in terms of fire resistance, there have been some studies done. The nice thing, the, the way to break it down in the simplest terms is that you have each little piece of straw is wrapped in clay and clay doesn't burn. So if you, and it's also a pretty dense wall system, so there's very limited oxygen available for combustion in this situation. So I have personally taken a blowtorch to light straw clay um, once it's dry and notice that it doesn't combust. The same is true of a straw bale because it's so dense that you're not getting enough oxygen for full-on combustion, but you will have a smoldering situation, and which is great in terms of fire safety. And then your first question about insulation is it's all based on how tightly you compact the light straw clay mixture into your wall. So 
Um, with each project, I try to stress that you do a little test block so you can figure out your pounds per square foot. So our insulation ratings are based on 13 pounds per square foot. And that's basically you build a little box, the square foot on the inside. You do a few mixes of light straw clay with kind of an idea of how tightly you're compacting it. You let it dry and then you weigh it. And if you have a 13 pound square foot block of light straw clay, then you've achieved the density that um, will get you to the highest R value. And that way you can have a much more insulative system. Excellent. Yeah, that's really great for reference, especially for people trying to integrate this in with a, ho- with a home design in different climates. And knowing how it's going to perform really gives them the information that they need to see where it will apply most effectively. Now, right. I, know, I know from my own experiences working with organic building materials that there's always a risk of rot and decomposition. What climates are light straw clay most appropriate for? And are there any places that you would not recommend using it? That another good question. Um, my experience with light straw clay, even in really wet, cold climates, is that clay really, despite it's it's a fascinating material, but it dries out. I have it dries out and then it stays dry. So I have one um, project that's in a very it's in a riparian area. It's a thirty five hundred feet in the Siskiyous. It's a very cold, wet area. And we infilled it in the summer and we never plastered it and it continues to be completely solid, no signs of rotting, no signs of insect infestation at all. And this is about seven years. So that is a nice experiment and testament to the fact that it it has the tendency to want to self-regulate to being dry. And then there there's a group of folks up in Alaska where they have a very short um, building season. So this is the one thing where I usually... Uh, try to get an idea of someone's climate before kind of steering them in a direction of what wall system would be best for them. But their way of working around a short building season, which basically means a season where it's sunny and dry most of the time, because light straw clay generally requires about an inch per week of wall thickness for drying. Um, And that's just a general guideline to kind of help people figure out when to start their project and when to anticipate that it'll be dry. Um, so these folks in Alaska, knowing that they had a very short uh, season, decided to make bricks and increasing the surface area so that everything dried in a brick form and then stack that into their walls was a way of using light straw clay and bypassing their climate limitations. So once light straw clay is dry, I would say it is a fantastic material and it and I wouldn't worry so much about humidity. I wouldn't worry about rain touching the wall. It just tends to, I mean, I would worry about rain touching the wall continuously, but intermittent windblown rain um, seems to not deteriorate the wall in a way that I would have had hesitancy in the past, just based on my experience. That's really good to know. Um, could you talk a little bit while we're on this this subject about some of the other disadvantages of straw clay and some of the ways that those disadvantages can be mitigated when building or designing a structure. Now, I assume this is relative to maybe other industrial options for wall fill systems. Right. So if I understand correctly, usually there I give people the pros and cons. And um, the pros, you know, it's very user-friendly. Homeowners can easily be involved. Um, it's non-toxic. It's the materials themselves are very affordable. The downside is that it can be very labor intensive. So if you are in a situation where you're very limited on your labor budget, whether that is you're in a very remote location or, um, 
you have a very limited budget for building your project, then I might just put that little note saying that you will probably need a lot of people for a short period of time in order to do the infill situation. Um, and then the other thing would be the dry time is something to consider. So if you, which really dictates when you can build your project. And for most projects, people start and break ground in the spring, try to get their infill and their walls done sometimes midsummer to early fall. And then they're plastering ideally early fall and not much into the freezing um, weather, but a well-designed home should be fine without a plaster skin for a winter or multiple winters. Um, so the downside would be that ideally you really want to get your roof on before it starts raining, which for a complicated project or for a short building season, those can, those can sometimes really shift the scale to try to, to exploring a different wall system. Yeah, definitely in my experience, there's been a few rushes trying to get those roofs on as fast as possible. And oftentimes, oh, yeah. in depending on the climate or the situation, I'll just recommend to the clients that they build the, the structure and the roof first and worry about the wall system or the infill later on to, right. yeah, to, to get around the, either the shortness of season or any other climactic elements that could throw things off and, and delay the project. Right. I, I mean, having a roof on makes for a much, and that you have a dry space to put everything for the duration of your project, which is great. And for some projects, sometimes it's, if someone's coming from a very conventional background, trying to adjust to some of the different nuances of light clay or any kind of natural wall system can be a bit of an adjustment, particularly for all the other facets that go into it, be it plumbing, electrical, how you're heating and cooling the place. Um, those can be a little bit of a learning curve for people coming from a more conventional background. Yeah, sure. I've definitely found that to be the case. So let's assume that everything dries correctly. You've installed it the way that it needs to be. What are some of the most important things to know about maintaining a light straw clay wall and making sure that it lasts as long as possible? Well, the first way to maintain a light straw clay building or any building is good design right from the first, right from the get go. So, um, taking in a good analysis of your site location, climate, um, how it's going to be used. Those are the first ways to make something durable is to do an appropriate and long lasting design. And then there's, you know, the old adage of a good boots and good hat um, to make sure that your building is, is up enough off the ground so that if you do get snow drifts or windblown rain or splash back off your roof is you're not kind of creating a situation that's going to end up being a long-term issue. Um, so keeping water away from the building is another key for maintaining it. And then it comes down to basically, uh, usually at this point, straw bale is old enough that we're at the point of remodeling straw bale buildings. And that is a whole, that could be a book in its own. Um, but I see the same thing probably happening with light straw clay. So there is designing and building and then maintaining a building through multiple people and having their time in that building. So if you're building a building that's going to last 500 years, you could have a lot of different people leave it living in there with a lot of different needs. So finding the most versatile wall finishes, I think is one of the biggest things to keeping a building well-maintained. And so most people either finish a light straw clay building in either lime plaster or an earthen plaster. And, um, the pros of the lime plaster is it's very durable. Um, it doesn't degrade in the presence of water. 
and um, you can get brighter colors with it. However, it has much more embodied energy. It's much more difficult to work with for some people, and it is much harder to patch and repair. Whereas earth plaster is very user-friendly, very easy to repair, very minimally embodied energy. Um, however, it you know if you stood there with a garden hose, you could wash your whole plaster off. So that's the downside of the earth plaster. But I generally, if it's designed well, I would steer people towards an earthen plaster just because the long-term maintenance for an earthen plaster is much easier than a lime plaster for people. Although traditionally people have maintained their exterior buildings with light straw, with the exterior of their buildings with um, a lime plaster and that is very, very durable. So there's kind of two schools of thought there. Yeah, and I personally am a huge fan of different types of earthen renders, either lime or clay. I teach them in the courses, and uh, like you said, the user-friendliness of clay makes it really approachable for just about anybody, but the durability of lime is really helpful for exteriors, especially if you're in kind of a heavy uh, climate with with a lot of storms or, or heavy rain. But could we also go over a little bit about different options for cladding? I know... Yeah. We could do uh, some sort of sheathing options. What else is, is available for light straw clay? Um, I've worked on several projects that in order to kind of fit in with the aesthetic of the neighborhood or the rest of the property, we've done what's called a rain screen. And that is where we fur out so that there is an airspace for airflow on the outside of our light straw clay, which then has a little bit of earth and plaster over it just to hopefully mitigate any insects or water or anything in there. And then you have a little airspace and then you have wood, you have it wood clad, whether it's board and batten or some kind of tongue and groove or some kind of bevel groove siding. You can put whatever siding on the exterior. Like I haven't experimented with metal, but I wouldn't say that that's, that you couldn't do it based on given that you would have a breathable airspace on the exterior. So you can have a very, very durable exterior that looks like any, any other building um, with light straw clay. And that's one of the bonuses of the secondary framing system that is part of light straw clay is that you have a lot of attachment points for any kind of exterior siding or if you're talking about shelving, et cetera. Um, and you can also, I've worked on projects where we've done the lower half in a rain screen and then done plaster up above. So really the sky's the limit from a design perspective with light straw clay. And that's one of the reasons that I really, I love using it is it's so versatile. Yeah. Speaking of that versatility, one of the reasons why I was attracted to this and, you know, I've only worked with it a small amount, but I know that light straw clay can be used to retrofit existing buildings, both natural and industrial. Could you walk me through some of the ways that you would need to alter a building to accommodate a straw clay infill? Yes. So this is one of the things that really was a big motivator for me to write the book is just that it is it. You don't have to do new construction in order to implement light straw clay, which I think from an energy intensive standpoint, new construction is very environmentally expensive and retrofitting buildings is a great way to not basically break new ground. Yeah, that's a really uh, good point. And there are so many different ways to do it. And that's another thing I love about it is it just fosters creativity. And um, so if you're 
say you're working with an existing maybe 1900s craftsman style bungalow in the Pacific Northwest, um, which is what I'm most familiar with, and you're looking at a two by four wall system and you want to beef it up and you can either bump your walls to the interior, which will cost you some interior square footage. Um, and that's usually the simplest way to do it because sometimes you have to contend with creating a secondary foundation to bump your wall out another eight inches on the exterior, which is one of the challenges of retrofits in that direction. Um, and some people, there's a lot of buildings in North America that are not insulated at all. So if you put any insulation in, you're doing a much, you're adding to the situation, um, you're improving the situation. Um, but if you really want to take it so that you're actually me meeting energy code and, or at least the North American energy code of, uh, R21 wall system, as you'd be trying to achieve a foot thick um, light straw clay wall system. And that is once again, either bumping it towards the inside and you could either do staggered stud construction. And one little side note here is I'm using a lot of terms and vocabulary, but some of these are just, it would be very easy to explain this to a conventional contractor to show him your framing or her, your framing system. And they would be able to do it without having to do this immense learning curve where if you were trying to explain cob or load bearing straw bale might be a little bit foreign to them. So that's, I feel like this is a great gateway for people with a very conventional background to plug in and have a natural wall system. And same with the retrofit because remodeling, a lot of people end up remodeling their house at one time or another. And so the other concept is to bump your wall to the outside. And that is that requires a little bit more engineering because you're involving probably you'll have to consider the overhangs of your roof. And you'll also have to consider some kind of secondary foundation. And sometimes those will require a little bit more engineering, particularly in, you know, if you're in a seismic zone to create a, a foundation that actually works together in a seismic event. I don't know if that really answered your question, but there's just a lot of ways to frame, to adjust your framing to accommodate a light straw clay infill. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, that definitely answers the question. And it sounds to me like light straw clay would also work really well in hybrid buildings that use more than one natural building material to sort of get the best performance from your structure. Could you give me some examples of other building materials that light straw clay works well with and what applications those might be used for? Um, my immediate answer is it works well with everything, but I, that may or may not be true. But my experience being primarily a straw bale builder is that in every project I'm incorporating light straw clay at some point. And most of those are for passive solar in the Northern hemisphere is you're putting a lot of glass and openings on the South face of your building and trying to wrap a 36 to 44 inch straw bale around all the window openings in the south side generally doesn't work that well. It becomes very inefficient. And with all of that framing to hold up your glass and your doors, light straw clay becomes much more appropriate for the south side of any straw bale building in the northern hemisphere, the reverse in the southern hemisphere. Um, and that way you're still getting relatively thick wall system to kind of match the aesthetic of the interior of the rest of your building, but you're not trying to notch a bunch of straw bales around all the posts and the framing and the windows, which for anyone with straw bale experience, it's, it become the more framing you're trying to wrap your straw bales around, the more complicated it gets and the more you kind of compromise the integrity of the straw bale. But if you can essentially unfurl that entire straw bale, dip it in clay and pack it into the wall system, you, you still have a very similar well-performing um, wall system, particularly for the south side of your building. Fantastic. Yeah, those are really good points. It definitely gets really, 
really complicated when you're trying to carve individual bales all around that that framing structure. Yes, I, I get to I get to feel like a sculptor sometimes at work when I am trying to get all these crazy wood intersections carved out into a straw bale so it'll fit nicely there, whereas straw clay would really do a much easier job. Right, yeah. So as much fun as it is for building skill sets, you could also just do light straw clay and, and have it done much faster. Right. So, fantastic. Before you go, could you tell our listeners how they can find sort of your other educational resources and learn more about your work? Oh, um, well, I do have a website, theflyinghammer.com. And um, that, yeah, I'm not the most technologically savvy person, so I don't update it as frequently as I should. But there's a frequently asked questions page. There's some resources. There's some blogs on there. Um, The Internet is a great resource, and I am a bibliophile, so I love books. And, um, yeah, books are also a great resource, too. And there's there is a plethora of books on straw bale. There are a lot of books on Cobb. And now we're finally starting to flush out the third branch of the natural building tree with light straw clay. Fantastic. Yeah, and I'd really like to encourage all of our listeners to go to your website too. I've used it as a resource for a long time. You have some fantastic information out there, which is uh, really useful for us in the larger industry. So thanks for putting that out there. Oh, great. My pleasure. I feel like the more people know, the better choices we can all make. Absolutely. Hey, that's the that's the point of this podcast as well. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and uh, it's been such an informative interview as well. Great. Thank you so much. All right. You take care. Bye. Bye. So if you were as inspired as I was listening to Lydia Dolman talk about the wealth of information in her book, then here's your chance to win your very own copy of Light Straw Clay. In order to be entered, all you need to do is leave a review of the Abundant Edge podcast on iTunes and send a screenshot of your review to info at AbundantEdge.com. From there, I'll pick my favorite and send you a brand shiny new hard copy of Light Straw Clay. For those of you awesome people who've already left a review on iTunes, you can still win by sharing this podcast episode on Facebook. Just tag the Abundant Edge in your post and send your screenshot by email for your chance to win. As soon as you're selected, the lovely people at New Society Publishers will send you your hard copy if you live in the U.S. or Canada. Or if you live outside those two countries, they'll send you a digital copy straight to your email. So submit your entry to win today at info at AbundantEdge.com. So before we wrap up this show for the week, I've got some exciting news about the upcoming months. And I'm joined here now with my good friend and founder of Atitlan Organics, Shad Goodsey. Hey, buddy, what's new? Oh, man, so much is happening. First off, though, I just want to say thanks for having me, man. I really love your podcast, and I actually had a great time doing that interview back in one of the earlier episodes. Anyway, probably what's most exciting is our new collaboration between Atitlan Organics and Abundant Edge. As you know, we've been offering permaculture design courses for over six years now, and they really have become a staple here in Lake Atitlan. In particular, though, the Intro to Permaculture course is just an amazing way for travelers, gardeners, architects, basically anyone to fully immerse themselves in this new paradigm of permaculture design. Like honestly, you can't take this course and still see the world the same way afterward. Man. Yeah, it's that's life changing. Sure. But like I said, what I'm most excited about is that now, thanks to our collaboration, we're going to be able to offer your natural building course immediately after every one of our intro to permaculture courses. Literally, this two-week offering is like Possibly the most complete package that I know of available anywhere. 
Basically, with these two courses alone, I think that someone should have everything they need to start their own regenerative project or just their own regenerative lifestyle. That's that's what I'm excited about, man. But uh, yeah, what about you? What's going on? Man, well, you know already that me and the Abundant Edge team are gearing up for a big season as well. I mean, starting in November, we'll be breaking ground on a regenerative farming demonstration site, which is, of course, right down the hill from your farm. We'll be building animal pens, a classroom, outdoor kitchens and lounge areas connected to houses, and it's all going to be made out of natural materials. I mean, the site is going to serve as a demonstration farm for perennial and regenerative farming methods for years and years to come. And we'll even be offering courses and internship opportunities to people who want to learn for themselves about how to build with natural materials and set up their own farms. Heck yeah. That sounds amazing, man. And honestly, this is just about the best place in the world to learn all these things too. I mean, this little town of Sununa in the gorgeous tropical mountains of Guatemala, like right here on the shores of Lake Atitlan, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And on top of that, you have this traditional indigenous Mayan culture that's still rich and alive. And probably my favorite part is that we have this world international community of alternative people that are open to new ideas and really putting things into practice. I mean, within walking distance of the Bamboo Guest House, you've got loads of things going on. we got the projects that we've already talked about, but you also have yoga retreat centers. You have Charlie Rendell's Natural Bamboo Building School. You have Love Probiotics. you got Fungi Academy. And honestly, loads more alternative, blow-your-mind type stuff. I honestly just feel like this is where it's all happening. Yeah, man, it really does. And I want to get as many people as possible in on these projects, but we've got to make sure that they've got the skills first. So what do you say? Let's offer a big discount to those who sign up for both courses. I mean, all food and lodging in the amazing Bamboo Guest House is already included in the tuition. So this will be like the best deal that we've ever offered. That's a great idea. Because I mean, people can still take just one course if that's what they're into or if they can't make the full two weeks. But this will actually make the two courses more accessible to even a wider audience of people. And that way more people can get the knowledge that they need to get started doing what they want to do. So hey, to all of you listening out there, we really want passionate and driven people like you to come and be a part of the community and the ecosystem that we're building out here. So if you're ready to take the next step and really dive in, there's no better time to invest in yourself by joining us on this journey to a regenerative future. Shad, how can they get in touch with us and see the upcoming events and workshop schedule? For sure. Well, for start, they can either go to atilanorganics.com and click on the workshops tab, or they can check out abundantedge.com and click on the education tab. Either one of these will get you all the information you need for all of the courses that we're offering in the months ahead. We're really looking forward to working and collaborating with all of you inspired and enthusiastic people out there. But even if you can't make it out yourself, I'm sure you know someone in your network who would jump at the chance to get involved in this positive, regenerative, and truly life-changing projects. So this is Oliver Gaucher and Chad Goodsey inviting you to come and be a part of the regenerative future that we are building. Can't wait to see you here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer, from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. 
Right now you can get a discount code for 50% off your digital subscription to the incredible Permaculture Magazine of North America simply by finding the code under the show notes of this episode. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be a conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again on next week's session.